coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Leading change, managing change is a huge challenge. And when a lot of business owners and leaders are higher quick start, if we don't recognize that that is probably more unique to us than we realize, you know, not everybody thinks this way, not everybody is wired this way, we can wear our team out and yeah. decrease their engagement and increase their burnout just because they're like slow down or stop, yeah. you know, so yeah, yeah. being really intentional about what we put through is something that, that I thankfully learned, you know, while I was building that audit unit, because mm -hmm. I would say in, in that season as a younger, less experienced leader with a smaller team, I probably did more of like, well, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's try this, yeah. you know, and yeah. learned from kind of the, the wake of chaos that I created, you know, here yeah. and there. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Courtney Durande, who is the managing partner of TDT CPAs and Advisors. So if you're like a lot of business owners out there, you may be wondering whether or not your process or your systems are the most effective as they possibly can be. Uh, Courtney's company takes a bit of a different approach to their accounting practices and their accounting services. And this makes a, a lot of sense where they will help you not only file your taxes and, and prepare your taxes, but also they help you evaluate how your company is running and provide other services that are basically using your data, your results, how you're making money, how things are flowing through your company to determine how well your company is optimized and, and how effective your company is running. So they, we, we talk about a number of the different deliverables that they, that they provide to you during this episode, but really you're going to walk away from the engagement with Courtney's company with a, a map or an overview of your entire team, your entire staff, the roles and responsibilities, who's doing what, you know, is this person completely overwhelmed, you know, which is probably going to shed some light on why they're always, you know, so stressed out and they always seem to be, you know, so bogged down with things. You're going to be able to, to see all of that. And it makes perfect sense when you're, when you're bringing in an accounting type firm, and I've actually never heard of an accounting, an accounting firm do this, but they, they do see exactly how things work and they should be your partners in establishing the most effective, efficient process that you possibly can have. So it makes perfect sense why you, you, know, why you need this type of a company, this type of a partner to be able to understand, not only understand your company, but also be able to make 
suggestions on what could be better or where some of the pain points or some of the the problem areas might be lying in your company. So we talk about a lot in this episode that it kind of went went in a lot of different directions. But if you feel like you're overwhelmed, if you feel like your team is overworked, you're wondering whether or not you have the best processes and systems set up, listen to this episode, listen to what Courtney has to say, and then reach out, see if it's a, a good fit for you guys. With that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. And my dinner table as a child, it was a priority to eat dinner together as mm-hmm. a family. So often it was all five of us. My, I have an older brother and a younger brother and then my mom and dad. For most of my childhood, my mom stayed home. And for a lot of that, she babysat for other Mm -hmm. families. So she was always home. She was always the one to cook dinner. My dad worked and he'd get home and then we'd all eat. One thing that stands out, my younger brother, who's kind of a tail ender, he's five years younger than me for the longest time. I bet, I mean, maybe up through when my older brother went to college, my younger brother sat on a stool at the table because we only had four chairs. Okay. (laughs) No and table so for the youngest like, or no chair for the youngest no brother, chair huh? for the youngest like he sat on this stool like on the it was a round table so it wasn't like he was like off on the corner yeah. or anything but but yeah so I mean we didn't we weren't wealthy we were very much middle class and you know obviously like we didn't buy a fifth chair when we had a yeah. fifth kid you know a third yeah. kid and but yeah just a very close family very faith-based family we always prayed before meals we always tried to spend that time together and it was just a lot of you know, talk about your day. Tell me what's going on at school and mm-hmm. how are things going? Um, and that was very, that's how it was up until probably middle school. My mom went back to college okay. to be a teacher. Okay. And, and she had also gone back into the workforce. So she was working full-time and going to college full-time. And so she had night classes and early morning classes. And so my dad started fixing dinner and we shifted to having pretty much either frozen pizza, chili, or anything (laughs) in the fry daddy, like cheese balls, mozzarella sticks, you know? So, um, so there was a season in middle school and early high school where things were different. We, we still ate together pretty much without my mom, but my dad switched to being the cook, but it was always very much a time where people were home and, and together. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And so, so it sounds like you had some, some shifting dynamics there growing up. Do you think that any of it sort of played into, you know, growing the entrepreneurial tendencies in yourself or did that not really hit you until later on in life? Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely not having anything I just being able to have anything I wanted Mm -hmm. is something that looking back reflecting on I think shaped me I think I think there was a lot of wonderful lessons I learned and and good things it's not like we were deprived but we you know if we needed a new backpack or a new pair of jeans it wasn't that you just went and got them and so I I do think that some of my choices around you know what profession I went into and my desire to grow myself and to build things came from wanting to be able to have what I want to have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, sure. you know, just additional resources to travel and to, to have things. And I think some of that came from growing up that way. I also think seeing my mom go back to school, go back to college as an adult and, and having her be working full time. And she still made it to almost every 
basketball game, volleyball game. Like yeah. she might be there with her books while we're yeah. on the bench or something. But I think that definitely showed me that you can do hard things. You can work hard. You can prioritize things. You can endure things for a season for a greater good. And so I, I definitely know that I was shaped by those influences of my mom and my dad growing up. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And did you do college and all of that as well? Did you? Uh, yes, I path? did. Yeah. Yep. I went to the University of Northern Iowa, which is known for their accounting and business programs and have okay. a really high pass rate on the CPA exam. So that's what drew me to you and I, once I knew that I wanted to go into accounting, I went to you and I. That's a, that's a special type of mind that wants, like actually says, I, I want to go into accounting. Like me, I'm like, I hate accounting. I hate, I hate <laughs> anything about that. Right. Other than, you know, it's a necessary evil, but, uh, but yeah, it's just not my, not my forte at all. But so, so you, you went to college and did you start or, or, you know, join in with the group of, of uh, accountants afterwards? Is that how you made yeah. your, your leap into yep. the company right now? Yeah. So, so the firm I, that I lead now and I'm a, a, an owner in is where I started right out of college. I actually oh, wow. interned. I was one of, they didn't have an internship program, very small at the time. And I was probably the first intern the firm ever even had. And then they offered me a job full-time for after I graduated the next year. And I, I took that and, and came back. And so I started at TDT right after college graduation and spent many, many years serving clients. Over time, I, I was able to build a new service line business unit within the firm and lead that been on our executive committee and into firm leadership. I've, I've done lots of different things. So even though I've been here for my whole career, I've gotten to create things, change things, lead things. It certainly hasn't been same old, same old for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 yeah. years this coming May. Fast time flies, right? Yeah. Yep. What's um, the, the business unit that you said that you, you helped uh, spearhead. How did you, how did you start that? Was that, you know, just sort of testing the waters and saying, hey, you know, I, I think there might be something here. You had a feeling that, you know, there, there might be a need that the, the public had there or yeah. what, was the, what was the kind of the catalyst to get that started for you? Yeah, so it was our audit practice. So, so that's a service where we're, you know, going out and, and testing financial statements of organizations so we can provide assurance to financial statement users that you can rely on this information. So it's a service that we did a very small amount of, it was kind of, so our, our practice at the time was heavy tax. So there'd be this compressed tax season, and then you'd have people like me with not a lot to do the rest of the year. Yeah, so we yeah. picked up a few audits in the summer and I loved it. I, I was like, I don't want to do tax work. I want to do more auditing. You're and sick. so I remember, I, <laughs> <laughs> I loved, uh, it was a totally different type of work. You're out of the office. You're interacting with people. It's like a big job yeah, for a yeah. few weeks at a time. It's just a totally different rhythm. And so, so I, I remember saying, I would like to just do auditing. And I remember the managing partner at the time saying, well, I, I don't think we're ever going to be big enough that we could have you just do auditing? Well, after I got more experience with it, there came a time where I said, well, if I could do more of this work, could I, you know, pursue it and develop a team that just does this and stop doing tax? And they were kind of like, well, I mean, 
sure, go if you want to try it. And so that's what I did. And we, I, I stopped doing tax work. Um, the next person we hired, we hi- hired them as just an auditor and started from really ground up saying, what do we want this to become? Mm-hmm. And one of, one of the things was we did not want this compressed busy season. In our profession, people leave public accounting because of compressed busy yeah. seasons. It happens yeah. in audit too. So we were, you know, for, for one, just one example, we were really intentional that we wanted to do some different types of work that had deadlines that fell throughout the year. So we could just be steady throughout the year and yeah, we wouldn't have to leave public accounting. And so, uh, so that's how that came about. I just, I really liked that kind of work. And I, I saw the type of expertise that it really required yeah. and knew that there was a need for it if we just were, you know, able to pursue it. And so that that's where it started and, and grew has grown into a significant component of the business today. Yeah. I, I love that you, you know, you both had the entrepreneurial foresight, you know, while you're in the company to be able to, you know, start moving down that path. And, and obviously the, the leadership, you know, gave you that autonomy to be able to go mm-hmm. and, you know, create, create it yourself too. Now that you're on the leadership side of things, do you approach things the same way if, if someone, you know, brings an idea to the table and, you know, let's, let's maybe look at this. I mean, do you, you basically, uh, you know, follow the same path today? Yes, very much. And, and I would say it's almost an expectation mm-hmm. of my leadership mm-hmm. that we should be continuously growing and evolving mm-hmm. and that we as leaders, whether it's a leader of the firm or a leader of a business unit or of a smaller team within have to be looking ahead at where mm-hmm. do we want to go and growing ourselves at a faster pace so mm-hmm. we can be leading the way to get there. So it's, it's for my leadership style, it's almost an expectation mm-hmm. that my leaders are thinking about where do they want to go and coming up with ideas. And I'm a huge proponent of investing in training and conferences mm-hmm. and consultants and coaching and whatever, whatever we need to figure out how to get there faster. more efficiently and effectively. Yeah. And yeah. And faster. I yeah. am all for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. So, so we were talking before uh, we started recording here, you guys joined EOS, which mm-hmm. we've had many, many past guests that are part of EOS as well. So talk a little bit about what your company was like or looked like before you went through EOS and then, you know, what, what came out of that, that process? Yeah. So we implemented EOS at the end of 2018 with a professional implementer. So we hired an implementer before we implemented EOS. We, I would say our, it was maybe kind of status quo, Mm -hmm. you know, like we had some growth over the years through acquisitions of other smaller firms, the audit practice that we developed, you know, that created a lot of growth, but we were at that point coming to the end of our original founding partners time with the firm. Mm-hmm. So getting ready for that next generation of ownership and leadership. And it gave the opportunity for me and a couple of my other younger partners to say, what do we want this to be? Mm-hmm. What, what's going to, what's it going to take, or what should this look like for us to want to stay here 
for the rest of our careers, Mm -hmm. let alone attract and retain other people to join us on this journey, especially knowing what we knew at that time about the high burnout rates in public accounting and professional services. So it gave us an opportunity to get really clear about who we are, how we help, Mm -hmm. and where we're headed. Mm -hmm. And then to share that with our team over and over and over again, these values, that's who we are. That's not just something we write on the wall. This is how we consider who should be on our team, who we should work with, how we behave. And so, so that I would say, you know, after implementing EOS, it gave us so much more clarity Mm -hmm. about who we are and where we're going, which helps serve as a filter for all the strategies that you put in place to, you know, to achieve those things and for who you hire and who you have on your team. And then I would say it also gave us way more structure Mm -hmm. around and rhythm to planning and strategy and accountability that we just Mm -hmm. didn't, we just didn't have that before. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that you, that you had all and and maybe this even even is a question right now too. Before you went through EOS, would you feel that you had enough people to be able to tackle the 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 work that needed to be done? Or after you went through EOS, did you feel like you know we're missing some spots? There's some there's some holes here that you know we've sort of identified. You know, going through this process that we need to find people to 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 fill. Yeah, that that's a great question because that was actually one of the most valuable pieces of having an, a professional implementer was that not too long before we implemented EOS, we had redesigned our organizational structure. Mm-hmm. So we used to be more siloed, geographically based, almost like a franchise model. And mm-hmm. we'd gone to a firm-wide model by business unit. So when it came to the, the accountability chart in EOS, the people component were like, ah, like we're good. We just did this. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Um, and our implementer kind of gently pushed at the beginning and then before we wrapped up, kind of pushed a little further. And what we realized by the end of you know those sessions was that our structure only had two components. We had firm administration mm-hmm. and client service. And we had these growth goals and our sales and marketing was two coordinator level positions right out of college down here on the org chart under administration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like where's your sales and marketing component? Yeah. And for us it was like, oh yes. Yeah. That's... <laughs> so We're that's missing. actually yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Like if we want to grow, yeah, we have to have somebody at the leadership level mm-hmm. who understands who we are and how we help driving the growth. So that's when I switched from leading our audit practice that I had built mm-hmm. to business development and leading our sales and marketing team. And then mm-hmm. it was also a step towards the managing partner role that I'm in as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That, I love, and it's always interesting you know, when you, when you start dissecting your company in such a minute way, that way, like, you know, it, it, there's always holes that you end up finding and, and that's so I'm glad that uh, you know you guys were in the same boat there so really well, really interesting stuff yeah and I think a lot of professional services companies especially you know architects attorneys CPA mm-hmm. firms mm-hmm. view non-client service people as overhead yeah yeah where I think most other businesses outside of our industry it's like no-brainer you need to have 
sales and marketing yeah. and yeah. in professional services, just like, well, the, the people who serve the clients, they develop their own business. Well, yeah. not all of them, like yeah. they're, we're not all wired that way. So exactly, yeah. exactly. No, love it. Love it. So now that you've stepped into this leadership role, what are some of the things that you've, like you, you, you mentioned a couple of times, your leadership style and the way that you lead and the expectations and all of that. How do you, how do you communicate that with, with your team, with your, you know, with the people that are, you know, looking to you for advice? Like, you know, there's, there's obviously all kinds of different ways to be able to communicate that, but I'm, I'm just curious to see how you have chosen to be able to show that leadership ability, you know, this is the direction that we're going. And then at the same time, support, you know, the people that are looking to you for that leadership as well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think so. Stop me if I, if I'm not going the right direction on this. So a big part of it is through communication and Mm -hmm. meeting rhythm. Mm -hmm. So we have structured rhythms. That's what we call it uh, Mm -hmm. for communications that go out and meetings that we hold. Mm -hmm. So. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com consistent scheduled communication and times to meet Mm -hmm. is part of how we build trust and Mm -hmm. kind of reduce the fear of like, what is happening? What's going on? When are they going to tell us anything? Yeah. So that's part of it. And the other part is it creates opportunity for people to be together and for us to share information, not just in video, not just in written form, but, you know, in person, in meetings, through team building and personal development, professional development. Um, But I would say in, in terms of kind of what all that looks like, what's involved with that, I am very focused on my own personal development and growth because I believe that I need to be growing as a leader at a faster pace than the business is growing or else we're not going to get there. I'm going to stunt our growth. Yeah, yeah. So I, anything that I learn and put in place and it personally that impacts me and helps me 
it gets cascaded then to my executive leadership team. And once they've got it and it's helping them, then on to our team. Okay. So okay. things like personality and the Enneagram, the Colby, EOS, full focus planner, like any of that stuff, books that I read, podcasts I listen to, tools, uh, methodologies, things that I've, I, I try to execute it for myself first and then cascade it down through the team. So, so a lot of that also shows that we are growth-minded. I am growth-minded. I'm not asking you to do some wild thing that I just saw online last week. This is yeah. something that has impacted me for the better for the last 6, 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah. yeah. And I want you to experience it as well. Yeah. So, and I like that you, that you sort of vet that as well, because I think that that's what a lot of, a lot of people, you know, it's a shiny object syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it might not even be a problem that you have, but you, you see something and you think, oh, that's, we need that. Right. And, and that's going to solve all of our problems if we, we latch onto that thing. And, you know, it's great that you, again, vet that and, and, you know, send it through its paces and trials and all of that before you, you pass it on to your team. Is there, how many things would you say that you try that don't get passed on? Is there, have you ever thought about like kind of what the, Hmm. what the ratio is? Like, you know, is it, you know, you try five things and maybe one thing gets passed on, you know, is that? Yeah, that's a good question. I've never really thought about it that way, but I would say what I do pass on are the things that have had sustained impact mm-hmm. on me. I know. So are you familiar with Colby, Matt? I, I no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. What? So Colby is an assessment. It's not personality. It's around like your cognitive way of, of acting. Okay. Okay. And so there's, there's four dimensions of Colby that, that get measured and the kind of quintessential entrepreneur um, so of the four, there's two that kind of stick out for entre- for most entrepreneurs that they're higher fact find and higher quick start. Okay. So they're not just like, you know, go out, go out there and do something without any information. They, yeah. they want to gather some information, but high quick start means that they are willing to take more risk and to, to change things. Yeah. So for me, I know that that means for me that with that high quick start, I'm willing to try a bunch of stuff and to change almost for the sake of just like, "Hmm, like, let's just see, let's try it different. Yeah. Yeah. But most of my organization and because of my profession is low quick start, they are preservers, not changers. So I have to be careful that if I push too much at them, like Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't generally like instinctively want any of it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) No matter how vetted or valid it is. So I for sure, am not going to push something that I don't think will have a big impact because they just aren't collectively a group of changers. They're more of a group of preservers. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. But, you know, even though so again, this kind of gets back to to the the point that I was making before, and you you sort of do this differently. It sounds like where you know you might be that 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 high quick start person that is going to you know hey we got to try this we got to you know do this, but but the simple fact that again you go through the process and vet it before you know you take the time you know somebody else's time rather than oh this is perfect let's just do this and you know this is going to you know solve all of our problems and then you know. From my experience, you know, looking and, and being in different companies and and building different companies, when you try to make all those changes, 
you know, and especially if they're coming frequently, you end up getting a lot of people that are so confused because, you know, what's important, what's priority. I did it this way last week. Now I got to do it this other way. And now there's, there's this new tool that's coming in. So you end up breaking the system, you know, when you're so sporadic and all over the place. So, you know, it's great to be able to test it and, and try things and see if it solves your problem first. And then, you know, if it does, then pass it, pass it on. So, uh, you know, I love, I love that approach that you're, that you're deploying there. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, leading change, managing change is a huge challenge. And Mm -hmm. when a lot of business owners and leaders are higher quick start, if we don't recognize that that is probably more unique to us than we realize, not everybody thinks this way, not everybody is wired this way. We can wear our team out and decrease their engagement and increase their burnout just because they're like slow down or stop, you know, so being really intentional about what we put through is something that, that I thankfully learned, you know, while I was building that audit unit, Mm -hmm. because I would say in, in that season as a younger, less experienced leader with a smaller team, I probably did more of like, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's try this, you know, and learned from kind of the, the wake of chaos that I created, you know, here and there. Yeah. No, and and everybody has to go through that, right? You know, it, that's how I. That's personally how I like to learn is is going through and experiencing it first. So you know, it's great that you experienced that and picked it, picked up on it and actually learned from it. You know, early on because again, that that does make you a more effective leader than yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of the other things that you have you know learned along the way in building your practice? You know, being the 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 person that's in charge of you know, bringing in new business and, you know, business development and all of that. What are some of the things that, that you've learned, you know, to, to help move in that direction? Is that, does anything come to mind Yeah, you know, off the top of your head? Yeah, I think a couple of things. The first thing I, I would say that I've really realized more and more over the last few years is that really helping my team and our clients understand the greater purpose and impact of the work that we do mm-hmm. has been transformative. I think without really recognizing that and putting words to it and stories to it and sharing it, people, even my own team think that we just work with numbers. We mm-hmm. just put numbers through systems and softwares and issue reports and returns and but really we work with people and these numbers represent all the stuff that they're doing and can actually give insight and perspective about whether or not what they're doing is working and effective. Mm -hmm. And it can be used to support decisions that they make for their business and for their family and their finances. And so I think that was something where a few years ago, and I'm, uh, especially when I went from, from audit to firm wide, all of our services, and I had to kind of get up to that umbrella level of like, what is the big picture here of the problem that we solve? And that's where I was like, I don't think our people know this. And I don't really know if our clients really know this. Yeah that there's a difference between data and insights and analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, a lot of CPAs are going to give you data yeah. and the value comes from the insights 
and the analysis and the the ability to support the decisions that you make. So I'd say I mean, that's, that's probably the first one that I would think of. Yeah. And, and along those lines too, would you say that you need to have experience in whatever industry that they're in or, or can you actually see those trends and those insights without necessarily having as much exposure into whatever that vertical or industry might be? Yeah, so, I think the key, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, I, would, more. no I just was going to say like, so, so like if, if you were, if you were going into a, you know, a company that maybe you didn't necessarily have any, you know, prior history in their vertical and you're providing these insights later on after looking at all the numbers and, you know, doing all of the typical CPA type work. I'm just curious to see like how you're, how you think about, you know, creating those, you know, those analysis reports for them, you know, if you may not be familiar with that industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we go through a pretty robust implementation process with new clients where we are understanding their Uh, business model. Like, how do you make money? (laughs) Which, where do you make money? Where do you make more or less money? How does cash flow through your business? Mm -hmm. So some of that, even if we understand your industry, there's so many nuances to what people specialize in or niche down to, even within an industry that we're always starting with that learning about the business, because a big part of what we do is putting metrics and key performance indicators around what drives our clients' businesses. Like when we're going to give insights and analysis, it needs to be, you know, there's some where we're doing visual presentation of historical financial information, just because Mm -hmm. it's easier for people to process that way. Yeah. But but beyond that, it where it really starts to make a difference. I mean, I'd say that's kind of the foundation. You've got to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. But where it really gets transformational is when you can say, beyond what has already happened, what's happening now that's going to drive what shows up later? Mm-hmm. And how can we measure and monitor that and report on that? And so that you can go from like running on your instincts and your intuition mm-hmm. to having that be supported by numbers and data. Yeah. yeah. Um, not, you don't have to throw away your intuition, but you can have them both together. So for us to do that kind of work and that kind of insight and analysis, regardless of the industry, we have to understand the business model for this business or the business models for each of your units. Cause diff- some have multiple models within this one business. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. What are some of the, some of the, the, you know, the challenges, I guess you can say that you've run into with people, you know, delivering that kind of, that kind of deliverable, you know, is it, do you ever have like pushback? Oh, no, that can't be true. You know, that that's not how, that's not how it works, or that's not the way that it's going or anything like that is, do some of those things sort of come to light as this process happens? Is that more common than not? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a great question because yes, and it's actually something that we talk, we talk a lot about with clients or if I do speaking or things is that that's a, it's a very common blind spot as a business grows mm-hmm. when you start to, uh, when the owner or the founder or the leader starts to have more people or outsourced resources handling certain things is that they no longer have as strong as a handle of a handle on how things are going as they mm-hmm. used to. So they used to be involved with everything. So they didn't really have to look at the numbers too much because they knew what was happening. Yeah. They saw kind of everything going through, but as they grow and that gets more distributed, 
they they don't really have an accurate gut feel anymore. So it's very common mm-hmm. to get to where you're reporting on information and people are saying, that can't be right. There's yeah. just no way. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes things are wrong. They've got people maybe entering data at the wrong, you know, coding it the wrong way or something. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's just that they haven't recognized that as the business has grown, they no longer are really in touch with everything, which they shouldn't be, mm-hmm. or they're going to cap out their growth. Yeah. But what, what needs to happen then is that you do have a good system in place to get you and your other leaders, the information they need so that everybody truly knows what is going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. What, what types of information would you need, you know, I guess to, since this is part of the onboarding process, what types of information would, would someone need to provide you to be able to start creating these types of reports and, and understanding, you know, their company, their, their business? Yeah. So there's two big components of our onboarding process with clients or implementation process. One is called a process optimization. That's like a whole systems review because we Mm -hmm. feel like systems are foundational. Mm -hmm. You've got to have accurate, timely financial information to base forecasting projections, tax planning off of. And to get that, you have to have solid systems in place where people know what they're doing, how they're doing it. And so we go through a pretty robust review Mm -hmm. of their systems and look for ways that we can automate or integrate softwares and just really get to where we're doing this as efficiently as possible. So that's one big component where, and through that, you learn a lot, not just about the systems, but about why, why are, why are we doing these things? And there's a lot of stuff that's like, well, that's just because that's. That's we've always we done do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so there's yeah. a lot of opportunity yeah. to find automation and, and to clarify roles and responsibilities and all that. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is to say, okay, what drives this business? What, is, what are the models in place? What drives profit and success here in this business? Mm-hmm. What should we be measuring and monitoring? And how can we tailor that back into the accounting system and the processes that are in place? Because if we don't capture it at the transaction level, we can't report on it. Yeah. Or we report on it. What's usually what's happening is people have three or five other spreadsheets that they use to really know what's happening. Yeah. When we could actually get it entered right at the beginning and pull the information out of the system automatically. So that's mm-hmm. a lot of it. That's especially for those, what I would call lagging indicators, like the historical financial information. But the other components that are more leading indicators, like what's happening now in the business, we go through facilitated discussions with their key team members mm-hmm. in the different areas of the business, whatever's the, you know, so if you think about operations, sales, um, production, people, quality, all those main areas of the business, where are the crucial things happening and what can be measured and monitored? And and so it's a facilitated process to drill down to what should those be and creating scorecards and getting visibility on them. No, love it. Love it. Um, And and you guys don't uh, necessarily have any you know specific verticals that you that you work in. You're you pretty well will will help anyone um, you, you're only really limited by the the size of the company, essentially, or the the the, the growth path of the company at this right. point, correct? 
Right. Yes. So we serve across a lot of industries. We haven't niched down to any specific verticals where, you know, we only do churches or we only do restaurants. We, we have churches and restaurants and distributors and marketing companies and, you know, just all across the board, really what's best for us is a small, medium-sized, privately owned or family owned business. So like not a publicly traded company who is in that growth stage. Primarily Mm -hmm. we work with mature companies. We're not a good fit for startups, but people who are growing and are starting to realize I need better information Mm -hmm. to make decisions. I think the other part of it is just kind of the the psychological profile of somebody who is growth-minded and they are looking for guidance and information Mm -hmm. to support decision-making. So we're, you know, we're not tax preparers. Mm -hmm. We are tax advisors and business advisors and outsourced accountants. Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking for a more transactional relationship, we're not a good fit. So as we so we really spend a lot of time up front in the discovery process and the pricing and proposal process and the onboarding process to make sure that it's a good fit because we're, we're not a good fit for everyone. Yeah. But for who yeah. we are a good fit, there's a lot of effort that goes into building that relationship because the value really comes from us knowing your business. Because in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, we're doing a lot of the work that a CFO would do you know, if you were big enough to have a CFO, but our clients aren't big enough to have a CFO. That's why we yeah. do this. That's how, yeah. I mean, we recognized the gap a few years ago and, and decided that's where we could better help our clients. I love it. I love it. If, uh, Courtney, if someone wanted to reach out, learn more about you, your company, what would be the best way to, to do that? Yeah. So they can find some more information about TDT and about me. We have a landing page set up for your podcast, Matt. So it's tdtpc.com slash pass the secret sauce. So if you go there, um, there's some more, there's some information there about the roadblocks that growth stage businesses find. You can get, um, you can get pre-pricing on that process optimization that I mentioned, if you're curious about what that would look like for your business. Um, And then I'm also really active on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn at Courtney Durandi, D-E-R-O-N-D-E. I post a video every week, usually on Fridays, uh, where I'm just sharing information or stories about kind of what's going on for me as a leader or a business owner, what I'm learning. So I'd love to connect with with your listeners on LinkedIn as well. I love it. That's great. That's great. Courtney, this has been fantastic. And Shared some some a lot of advice that uh, I think a lot of companies and actually real real quick too you you mentioned there with the you know there's some different pricing details in that are you guys will you I guess the process optimization as a standalone service or, yes or is it kind of all all encompassing we will yes we will we started doing that as a standalone service when we realized that you know for some people especially if you don't know us very well maybe you just heard this podcast and you're like oh mm-hmm. it sounds good but I don't know yeah. um, if you don't want to commit to a you know a bigger long-term relationship and project there's value in the process optimization on its own yeah and it yeah. gives us a chance to better assess are we a good fit for long-term? Mm-hmm. And, and if not, you still got the value of having optimized 
processes that you can go forward with. But most of the time, so I mean, so far all the time, you know, people are like, ah, let's keep going. Where can we go from here? So, but yes, there's pricing on there on that site that I mentioned where you can, you can just put in that you don't have to put in your email address, just put in a few details and you'll get an instant quote on what it would look like. So you can see if you're interested and if you want to talk more, there's a place to book a call with me too. And we can talk more about the process. Yeah, love it. Courtney, fantastic. Love what you guys are doing. Love the direction and congrats on all the success. You know, it sounds like you've you've uh, kind of taken the, the company by storm there and and uh, making it your own. So love it. Congratulations. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. It's been really fun. Love what we're doing here. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.